Tonight is a unique service in the life of the church, Maundy Thursday. Now, for some of us here, this may be a new experience, but the stories will be familiar. Every year on this night, we recall two classic scenes for the Christian life. Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, and Jesus instituting communion at the Last Supper. Then we end with the disciples deserting Jesus. In the church's view, these things go hand in hand, just like what happened in real time on that night over 2,000 years ago, all of which happens against the backdrop of the Passover meal. In other words, there's a lot happening on Maundy Thursday, but the focus tonight is on the character of our rescuer, Jesus, and on the nature of the rescue that he brings for us. Maundy Thursday comes from the Latin word mandatum, which means commandment, and it refers to one of Jesus's most distilled and powerful gospel invitations in John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. This is the nature of our rescue, that as Jesus has done for us, we then go out and do. And it undergirds the stories of our evening tonight. So as we take a few moments to reflect on this story, which is both beautiful and agonizing, I invite us all to be freshly curious about the character of our rescuer. And as we live out this mandatum, I hope we will be challenged by God's vision for life as a rescued people. So let's begin with the original Passover in Exodus. So this is the first Passover meal, a meal that became a central feast for God's people. This is a meal through which God's people were rescued, were saved from Egypt. But what caught my eye as I reflected for tonight was God's provision for life after rescue, for life as a rescued people. Now, everybody had to come up with a lamb or a neighbor with a lamb. This was a costly meal for an enslaved people. Ideally, maybe one would stretch out the nutrition of a lamb over a few days because it was so costly. But the Lord urges them to fill their bellies, burn the remainder, he says, to make sure that they eat their fill. Then he says, in this manner shall you eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm enjoying a feast, I'm more likely to loosen a belt loop or two rather than make sure it's fastened. When God tells them to fill their bellies to the full and to be ready to move at a moment's notice, he gives them a hint as to their future. They would go on to wander in the desert for 40 years, on the move, without food, their feet aching. Post-rescue life for the Hebrews was disorienting. It was a lot dif different than their expectations. But God promises to provide for their needs even before they knew they had them. Maybe you can relate. We all have a tendency to put our personal hopes and expectations on Jesus 
and on what life as a rescued people should look like. I should be more prosperous. More people should like me. Every day I should feel like I'm more holy, better at prayer, more patient than I was yesterday. This life as a rescued people should be easier. Well, here at the first Passover, God's message for them and for us is this. He will not only rescue us, but he will provide for the needs of his rescued people. Life as a rescued people matters to God because we matter to God. So do you find yourself tonight in a place of need, disorientation, desperation? Take comfort in knowing that God has seen it already and has begun providing for you in it. Let us look now at Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, where we will see both the nature of God's rescue for us and the character of the rescuer, which might be a little bit challenging. Now, the custom of washing feet comes from the realities of first century Roman life. Traveling, walking around town meant dirty feet. Dust, dirt, big city waste, and your travel animals, shall we say, exhaust? On entering someone's home, it was simply hygienic and polite to have all of this washed off. If it was done for you in a home of means, then this would be the job of the lowest servant on the totem pole, because this is a dirty job. And so when the creator of the world, the Messiah, when Jesus removes his clothing and chips away at the layers of the world imprinted on his disciples' feet, Peter revolts, because this is shocking. Now, this story at face value is calling followers of Jesus into a life of service. If I have washed your feet, so also ought you to wash one another's feet. And as I have loved you, so also must you love one another. Jesus became a servant, embodying a central theme of his ministry, this call to humility, even if, perhaps especially if, you are in a place of authority. And we should all follow his example and do likewise. This is a beautiful spirit of Jesus out of which hospitals have been created, higher education has been valued, the arts and beauty have been preserved over many centuries, and those on the margins have been cared for without thought to cost. So let me invite you to be curious about this posture of service. What might it look like for you in your unique circumstances, your neighborhood, your workplace? What might it look like for you to creatively move towards serving others? This calling to servanthood is especially clear here on Maundy Thursday. Now, this calling is so powerful. I think this is why so many of the great religions of the world have some kind of a call to serve others. But we need to be careful Serving others is not how we are rescued. It just points to the nature of our rescuer himself, Jesus. And it is part of God's provision for life as a rescued people. Now, this is the often overlooked Maundy Thursday invitation. It's another call to humility that I would say is even more foundational to the Christian life. For some, in our eagerness to serve, we have accidentally overlooked the gospel call 
to first be served by Jesus. Again, hear the words of our mandatum. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. The word order there is important. Jesus puts a finer point on this when he says earlier, if I do not wash you, in other words, if you do not allow me to become your servant, then you have no share in me. Being served by Jesus means receiving him as a servant, because this is his character. So I invite you to be curious about this, tonight especially. How comfortable are you with God's character being that of a servant? However comfortable or uncomfortable it might be, Jesus longs to serve us before we go out and serve. He washes us so that we might be rescued and be a part of his rescue for the whole world. If we do not first receive Jesus as servant, then even in our serving others, we will lose sight of why we do it, and it will begin to weigh us down. If we do not first receive Jesus as servant, then we miss out on the reality of the cross, to which Jesus' actions tonight point. This is where Christianity is different from all other religions. As I have loved you, the gospel begins with us saying, I cannot earn, serve, philanthropize my way into the kingdom because we are first in a place of need. Are we willing to humbly receive Jesus as our servant, rescuer? Now notice that Jesus washing his disciples' feet is synonymous to his love for them. As I have served you, go and do likewise. As I have loved you, go and love one another. This is saying that when we open our souls to the need for rescue and to the servanthood of our rescuer, then the love of Jesus is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But receiving this love is not always easy. I remember a few years ago during a Holy Week at my previous church, it had been a very full Holy Week of ministry, and I was tired. My body begged for more sleep, and so certain trade-offs had to be made. This is how I arrived at our Maundy Thursday service, where everybody has their feet washed by somebody, having forgot to shower for about four days. Now, I was young ministry staff at this church. I was also the choir director, and so I could not think of a reason for me to not have my feet washed like everybody else. And so, with the apprehension that the particular funk of a three-day-old men's dress sock brings, I got in line. And I prayed furiously for whichever poor soul got in line behind me who would have to wash my feet. Now, this is a silly example of a deathly serious reality. It can be so hard to receive love, especially when we feel unlovable. But that is the true nature of our rescue, the real service of Jesus, that he first loved us and gave himself for us. Even the darkest, grimiest, least comfortable places within us. And he washes us clean. Do you believe you are lovable? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But do you believe that you are loved? That is at the heart of the gospel, the good news of our rescue. 
if you would open yourselves to it. Now let's close by reflecting on Jesus instituting communion as common practice for the church. This is perhaps the most central thrust of Maundy Thursday, and it illustrates for us God's clearest provision for life as a rescued people, which is the church, which is you. Jesus knows that he is about to be betrayed and deserted. This is his last chance to color in the picture for his disciples. And rather than giving another teaching or a Q&A session, what does he give us? He gives us a meal. Every Sunday at communion, we participate in this Passover feast 2,000 years ago. Each Sunday, when we lift up our bread and break it, we proclaim Jesus' great, greatest place of servanthood, the cross. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And so when we gather at this table, we come empty-handed, needy. And at the same moment, we're reminded that we come shoulder to shoulder. We come to this table together. We come forward together, and we are sent back out into the world together, having renewed our minds and our hearts in the servant-hearted character of our rescuer and the nature of our rescue. At communion, Jesus draws us together both in a mystical and a physical way. And having rescued us, Jesus looks ahead at the disorienting, sometimes isolating, certainly surprising nature of life as a rescued people. And this is his greatest gift, our common family life around the communion table, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He sees that we will all feel at times like nomads in the desert, and he provides a community that we can call home. He knows the common struggle in a broken world, and he knows your particular challenges tonight. He surrounds you with folks who have been loved and are longing to love you. And in our story tonight, he knows his disciples will scatter, will leave him alone in his greatest moment of need. So foreseeing their shame, foreseeing perhaps the fact that they might want to stay scattered, not come back together again, here on his last night with them, he doubles down on the importance of coming back together and serving one another in love and humility. What might it look like for us to do the same? How might we, having been washed and rescued by Jesus, turn towards those within and those outside of the church with a longing to serve and care for one another? It is around this family table that we are called to walk with our brothers and sisters through hard seasons, sharing any wisdom we might have gleaned and sharing in the silence that might be necessary. It's around this family table that we practice the careful noticing of a friend who cares enough to ask, how you doing? No, really, how you doing? It's around this family table that we provide the real practical needs of folks who are in need whether or not it's convenient for us or within our margin budget line. It's around this family table that we lean into the more difficult humility of being vulnerable, being honest, speaking of our need and our struggles, receiving the care of others instead of scattering in our shame. It's around this family table that we don't leave pastoring, playing, 
counseling, giving, conversations. We don't leave those things only to be done by the professionals. We do it. We are called to serve one another in love. We are the communion of the church, warts and all. We are the gathered community of a servant-hearted Jesus, each of whom has a place at the table that we did not earn. May I encourage us this Monday, Thursday, to come afresh with empty hands, needy for the rescue of our servant Savior, and eager to serve and be served by one another. Enter afresh into the mandatum of the church, that we might first be loved and that we might love one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.